Welcome to Graceway Baptist Church. This is our Sunday School lesson that we're going to be presenting on July the 11th. So for those of you who are teachers and listening to the audio, I pray God blesses you. Um, I hope these things out of this New City Catechism have caused you to think and to grow and to be refreshed in some things maybe that you already knew. And I hope that uh, your Sunday School classes enjoyed it and that it's caused discussion and uh, deep thinking about very, very important doctrines of the Christian faith. So today we're going to uh, answer the question, does Christ's death mean all our sins can be forgiven? Um, I think if you look at this from a Baptist perspective or a Calvinistic perspective, you probably have this tendency just to say, well, of course, and sort of dismiss this. But there are an awful lot of believers and um, people that maybe they visit our church or maybe they've come from another, maybe an Arminian background and uh, they don't really know all of the things that uh, we take for granted. Okay, I'll tell you a little story. There was, uh, I, I worked at a grocery warehouse, a big grocery warehouse in Tulsa. And uh, we did things like load big semis and we would unload boxcars. Boy, that was hot. And uh, pull orders from the shelves all over the place. And, um, you know, and then for a while I worked on the maintenance crew and um, got to know some of those people there. And uh, there was a guy there, we called him Smitty. Nice, nice guy, older guy. He was probably in his 50s. And uh, he uh, was talking to me one time, and he said, well, I just don't see how you Baptists can believe in once saved, always saved. You know, at that point in my life, I don't know that I'd ever really encountered anybody who had ever challenged that. I'd been raised as a Southern Baptist and been around those kind of people. Most of my friends were, and uh, I didn't know there's any real difference. And this is one of those things that obviously I've never forgotten because he was there. He was a forklift, forklift driver and uh, had his yellow hard hat on and all of that. And he said... I believe that I could get saved, live a perfect life, be 80 years old on my deathbed, think an impure thought, and if I died before I had a chance to confess it, I would go to hell. Boy, that's, you know, how does a guy like that ever sing blessed assurance, Jesus is mine? Uh, he never knows. And uh, when you think about your salvation like that, that it could just be there, be there, be there, be there, and then be gone just that quickly. And I know not everybody believes uh, losing your salvation is that easy. But um, I've always wondered if the Bible teaches that you can lose your salvation, why doesn't it tell us where the line is? Why doesn't it warn us before something like that happens? And... Um, that was just always been a sad, sad thing to me. And I've had people over the years that have come to churches I pastored and they come from 
maybe a different background where they believe they can lose their salvation. And uh, boy, it is amazing when they find out what the Bible says. I am so glad to be able to think about verses where Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And I give them not temporary life, I give them eternal life. Think about verses where Jesus said, they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. And I've heard people contend with, well, <coughs> excuse me, maybe nobody snatches them out, but it doesn't mean you can't jump out. I don't really emphasize that part of the verse, even though it's very, very good. He said, they shall never perish. That, does that word sound familiar? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. And we always tell people, shall not perish. That means die and go to hell. And Jesus said that all that the Father gives me will come to me, And right? And, and he said that he holds them in his hand and they're also in the Father's hand. And then um, he uses that phrase, they shall never perish. Uh, there's something about this that we need to get a hold of and we need to make sure we understand. But you really can't have a proper view of the perseverance of the saints, or some call it security of the believer, or once saved, always saved, whatever you want to say there, until you get this question answered. Does the death of Jesus Christ really forgive all our sins? Does it mean that all of our sins can be forgiven? Here's the answer. Yes, because Christ's death on the cross fully paid the penalty for our sin. God graciously imputes Christ's righteousness to us as if it were our own and will remember our sins no more. Need a little scripture for that? Colossians chapter uh, 5.21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, I am not basing my salvation on my righteousness or my righteous deeds or anything I can perform. The only good in me is Christ. The only good in you is Christ. And when we were saved, he not only took our sin away, but he also replaced it with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Christ took our sin and we took his righteousness. Doesn't sound fair, does it? But that's what God did for us out of his great love and out of his mercy for, for us. And so um, I'm reminded of a, an old story. H.A. Ironside, I think he was the pastor at Moody uh, Memorial Church in Chicago. Maybe he was the president of Moody Bible Institute. I don't remember offhand now. But uh, he's written a lot of commentaries and things like that over the years. And uh, he told the story of being on a train and a lady recognized him and said, I have some questions for you. And among the questions, she said, I can understand how Christ could forgive 
my past sins, but how could my future sins be already forgiven? I haven't committed or confessed them yet. And uh, Dr. Ironside looked at her and said, Dear lady, when Jesus died, all of your sins were future sins. That's a good way to look at it. When Christ said, It is finished on the cross, I hadn't even been born or thought of yet, neither had you. And yet Jesus paid for our sins, and he paid for them in full. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Again, it's a righteousness that is not our own, a righteousness that is alien to us, and a righteousness that is given to us. Well, let's uh, talk about this. First of all, this was prophesied. If you will turn with me to Psalm 103, verses 10 through 12. And in my Sunday school class, I usually ask for volunteers to read these verses that are uh, under the points. <coughs> Pardon me. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. You ready? As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. You know, if you took a globe and you started at the South Pole and started going north, when you got to the North Pole, you know what you would start doing? Going south. North and south meet at the top and at the bottom. But if you were to go around the equator and start heading east, do you know around that globe you'll always be going east? If you start going west, you'll always be going west because east and west don't meet. And that's what Jesus is saying. These sins are going to be put so far away from you that they're gone. They're gone. And this is such a wonderful um, promise that the Lord has given us that uh, only he could do. This is not something that we came up with. This is not something that we sat down and said, it would be nice if all of our sins would be just done away with. Let's come up with a doctrine about that. We have scripture for it. And not only New Testament scripture, but Old Testament scripture looked forward to that time when the final sacrifice would be given. Not something that you had to do every year or every month or in some cases daily. And not that somebody else had to do um, on behalf of you. This is something that you can do for yourself because the New Testament teaches that as soon as you were saved, well, you became a priest. And what sacrifice do you offer? None. The sacrifice has already been offered, and that's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Well, how often does it have to be offered? Once and for all. He offered it, the book of Hebrews says, and then he sat down. This is something that is amazing. It is unique in every Old Testament sacrifice. Let's put it, let's put it this way. Every legitimate, faith-filled, believing sacrifice in the Old Testament was looking forward 
to the day when Isaiah 53 would be fulfilled and the suffering servant would die for us. They didn't have as much information about him as we do, but uh, they in faith trusted that God was going to take care of their sins when the Messiah came. Prophesied. <coughs> Secondly, let's look and talk about um, the fact that it is not only prophesied, but it is uh, promised. When the Bible are proclaimed, I got ahead of myself, proclaimed. Number two is proclaimed. John chapter 19, verse 30. Okay? When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Now, um, interestingly enough, I can't remember which gospel it is, doesn't say the words, it is finished. That's for John. But it said that he cried with a loud voice and then he died. Have you ever been around somebody who dies? Usually um, you have to, they say something and you have to get over real close and say, what, what was that? What, what was that? Because they're so weak, they can hardly talk. Can you imagine how weak the human body would be after being scourged and then being crucified? And yet Jesus did something very unusual. He died with a shout. He died with a shout. I heard a preacher talking one time, said he was uh, walking with the doctor through the hallway of a hospital in Dallas. And there was a lady that was just yelling and screaming, help me, I'm dying, I'm dying. And he didn't do anything. And the preacher said, don't you think you need to go help her? And the doctor said, no, if she's got that much strength, she's not dying, she's not dying. Well, Jesus died that way because he was in perfect control of everything that took place. And so the Bible says that he said, it is finished, and he said it loudly according to the other Gospels, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, most of you are going to know this, but the word for it is finished, the phrase it is finished, is one Greek word, tetelestai. Tetelestai is the word. Why is that important? Because uh, finished is a, a good translation, but it's not always as clear as we would like for it to be, finished. What does that mean? Well, tetelestai was a word that if somebody owed you money, at the last payment, they would write on the bill and give it to you as a receipt, tetelestai. And everybody would know, a court would know, an interested relative would know, anybody who needed proof of ownership would know, you paid the debt in full. If you uh, bought a car and you bought it on a payment plan and you paid and paid and paid and paid and paid, when you get through, they send you, they take the lien off of the title and uh, you have a clear title. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. Tetelestai means the debt is paid. It's finished. You finished paying for something. And so they would write that on a bill of sale or something like that. Completely paid for. Let that sink in. It was also used in a criminal setting. 
if you were taken to a prison, a Roman prison, and, uh, you know, put in a cell, it, say you had 30 days that you had to serve. There would be a, a thing, kind of like a chalkboard or something like that, that would be up above the uh, cells, and they would mark off the time that uh, you had been sentenced. So maybe use a tally mark or something like that for every day. And when that time was finished, when your 30 days were up, or whatever it might be, then they would write on that chalkboard type thing, tetelestai, meaning you paid your debt to society, you have finished your sentence. See what I mean on that? So when Jesus said, it is finished, he was talking about himself. He had taken all of the wrath of God, and he was saying, it's done, it's paid for. And somehow the infinite Son of God was able to take everything that you and I and everyone who would believe would deserve in hell, and he was able to take that in his infinite self. That's why he needed to be God, as we've talked about. And when it was done, it was done. No need to stick around. You find that uh, as you read the Gospels, people were kind of astonished that he died so quickly. It was not uncommon for people to remain hanging on a cross, lingering for days. Can you imagine what that would be like? That would be pretty horrible, wouldn't it? And so when they broke the legs of the thieves, the thieves, they uh, did that so that uh, they couldn't push up from their legs to uh, take a breath, and then they would let themselves hang down as they would exhale and then push themselves up for another breath. Well, if you break their legs, they're going to suffocate sooner. Do you remember they came to Jesus and uh, they seemed surprised that he was already dead. Pilate, when he heard the news, was surprised he was already dead. Well, let me just put it like this. Jesus is in such control of what he was doing. After he said to Telestai, there wasn't any reason to literally hang around anymore. And so he gave up his spirit and he went to uh, be with his father. So um, when you think about these things, think about what it means about your sin, to telestai, your sin debt paid in full, finished. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing that anyone can do for you. It is done. Taking the Lord's Supper doesn't give you a boost into heaven and doing good deeds does not give you extra credit points or anything like that. The debt's already been paid and it was paid, of course, in full. This is also something that has been promised. Colossians chapter 2, 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, stop right there. If God expected us to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, how do dead people do that? Uh, there's no way a dead person can do it. That's why Paul uh, tells us that. You who were, now notice it's past tense, were dead in your trespasses and sins, and your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive, because only he can do that, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all 
our trespasses. Can I say that again? All our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to his cross. You see, uh, when they crucified people, they would put the, uh, something, a sign, with the charges, the criminal charges, up above the crucified person's head. So that when you walked by, and they did it in a public place, when you walked by, you would see this person stole something or this person murdered somebody. And that was supposed to be a deterrent. That you would walk by there and go, man, I'm going to make sure I never do that. And that's what it was designed for, wasn't it? It was designed to make people think. It was designed so that uh, you would stay in line. A very gruesome, horrible reminder of what happens and what Rome would do, what Caesar would do to those who rebelled against him or broke his laws. That's why it's real interesting that Pilate wrote above Jesus, King of the Jews, and he wrote it in several languages so everybody could read it. And uh, no wonder the Pharisees were not happy about that. Say he said he was the King of the Jews, um, but Pilate said, what I've written, I've written. Remember that? Well, you had charges. You had a rap sheet. Every sin, every thought that was evil, every evil motive, everything you did that was wrong, and then let's add another one. What about the things you didn't do that you were supposed to do? You add all of that up, man, that's a long, long rap sheet, isn't it? And Paul uses that imagery of crucifixion to say you and I were dead and we had that list of charges against us hanging over our head. But God in his mercy and love and grace, he made us alive. And then you know what he did? He took that off of our cross and he put it on the cross of Jesus. And we're free and Jesus is the one who suffers for the charges that were brought against us. That's what Paul is saying. And notice that he said that our trespasses have been all forgiven, all forgiven. The death of Christ didn't leave anything undone. It didn't leave anything to chance. It didn't leave any opportunity for the enemy to condemn us and drive us, uh, pull us into hell with him. He was the perfect sacrifice, made alive, transgressions, uh, trespasses, excuse me, forgiven. And the word means canceled, set aside, and nailed to the cross. And when we get down to this fourth, fourth thing, I think it's important to note that not only was uh, this prophesied, proclaimed by Christ and promised, but it's also permanent. Praise God for that. It's a permanent thing. This is not something to where you can ever be brought to trial again. This is not something that can be brought up again against you because it was paid for in full by Jesus permanently. Now, this is why um, 
when the, uh, we have a different view of the Lord's Supper, for example, than do the Roman Catholics. In the Roman Catholic Church, when they take their uh, pitcher of wine and they take their bread, the priest will pray for it to become the literal body and blood of Christ. And they'll proclaim this is the blood of Christ, this is the body of Christ. And um, then everybody comes up and they take it and the priest dips the wafer in the wine and, you know, puts it in your mouth. I don't COVID must have messed that up a lot. Uh, what's so bad about that and what's so offensive about that? Because the Bible says that he died once, his blood was shed once, the debt was paid once. He'll never be put to an open shame. And the Roman Catholic view of that actually teaches that that wine and that bread become the body of Christ as a fresh sacrifice. You need a new sacrifice. You need a new dose of the body and the blood of Christ every time you go to Mass. Uh, that, folks, is blasphemous. And that is so contrary to Scripture. The Lord's Supper is a memorial of what Christ had done, but he does not become sacrificed again every time we or any other church take the Lord's Supper. So it's permanent. What he did was permanent. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Did you hear that? Can never take away sins. The offering of that lamb in the Old Testament never did anything for them. It was their faith in God who told them to do it and looking ahead to the permanent sacrifice that God would provide. That's what saved them. They were looking ahead to Christ. We look back, they looked ahead can never take away sins. But, that, that big word of contrast, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected, perfected, hear that? For all time, those who are being sanctified. Is that you? Well, if you've been saved, the next step is to be sanctified. Every saved person is a sanctified. The word sanctified means holy, like the sanctity of life or something like that. But it also means, even more literally, set apart. You were taken out of the kingdom of darkness and put <coughs> excuse me, into the kingdom of light. Set apart for the master, unto the master, and for the master. And notice that every person who has been sanctified has also been perfected by what? Good works because they kept their promises and kept their vows and kept their words, that's important. But that doesn't save you. 
What saves you is the single sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, prophesied, we find it in the Old Testament. Proclaimed, Jesus shouted it out loudly so that everyone could hear and there'd be no doubt about what he said. You don't have to go up close and say, now what was that, Lord? What was that you said? Say that again. No, he shouted it out. And then it was promised, and Paul gives us that promise in the book of Colossians, and then we find that it is a permanent thing. No other sacrifices are needed. No other sacrifices are necessary. No other sacrifices, not even a sacrifice of Jesus again and again and again and again is necessary. It's done, completed, to telestai. The debt has been completely paid. So Christ is the one who offered, and he's also the one who has overcome because he did this, as the scripture says, for all time. For a Christian to lose their salvation would mean that these verses we've just read are misleading us. For a Christian to lose his salvation would mean that what Jesus did on the cross was close, but didn't quite make it, didn't quite get it done. And that would also put it on us. We take what Christ has offered and then we complete it and we finish it. Well, then I would think when we get to heaven, we would be the ones saying tetelestai and not Christ. That, that's a horrible thing to think of. But when you realize what Christ said on the cross, that he meant what he said, he said what he meant, and that these other verses give us explanation about all of that, you realize that as a believer, all of your sins are already forgiven. And you, when you die, will be escorted into the presence of God and welcomed into heaven just as welcome as Jesus was. There are no super saints. There are none who are more welcome than others. It's, uh, there's equality in all of this. And when we realize that, we realize it's not because we preach great sermons. It's not because we drew great crowds. It's not because we led a lot of people to Jesus. It's not because we were very disciplined in our walk with God. Nothing wrong with any of those things, but none of those things get you into heaven. The only thing that gets you into heaven is Jesus and his once for all sacrifice for your sins. I hope that encourages you. I hope that makes you think more about Jesus and about his love and grace and mercy for you, about his precious blood that he shed for you. I hope it makes you think about the glory of his resurrection and to think that he sits at the right hand of God the Father, waiting for that day when his enemies become a footstool. But even more than that, waiting until that day when he welcomes you home and you're welcomed home and you're secure, all because of what Jesus did for you. Thank you for your time. Thank you, uh, those of you who are watching this because you missed Sunday school and now you're kind of caught up with all of us, uh, of us. That's a really good thing and I'm glad you did it. Thank you and may the Lord bless you.